The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number uh, 205. You are correct. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank goodness that you could count them on your fingers. Um, yeah. it, it, was, it was really interesting because uh, our guest for this week, I had kind of dove into a conversation on the line and I was like, these are some ladies that I really want to have a conversation with. So uh, I had uh, reached out to Abby. Abby reached back and says, yes, let's do this. We made this happen. Abby Norman, how are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. All right. Well, we like to ask the skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Abby, who are you and where did you come from? I am a teacher, a preacher, an Enneagram 2, a dog mom, wife. That's about, I would say that's who I am. And I, where did I come from? I will, I come from the Midwest. For us Canadians who are geographically yeah. messed up <laughs> and we could think that the Midwest is Washington and California, yeah. whereabouts in the Midwest? In Ohio, okay. really close to Michigan. And now I am in Atlanta, Georgia. So I am like firmly in the Southeast. So you were, I mean, you, you say that uh, a preacher and a speaker and a teacher, man, you just have it all. Uh, you, obviously a person who wears many hats growing up, was that kind of where you thought you were going to be? Was teaching kind of the goal? Was preaching kind of the goal? Okay. So the story is wild. But um, when I was 13, I heard God, like I heard God tell me that God would use my voice. And so I was deep in evangelicalism. And so I just assumed, you know, girl, like, oh, I'm going to break into the Christian music scene. So that's like what I thought for a long time. And then I thought like missionary. And so then I was like, well, I should go to college and have a practical skill. But I pass out when I see needles. So we should not do medical missionary. So I guess I'll do, I'll teach English. Um, turns out I really loved it. And I was really good at it. And I did that for about 10 years. And then after this year, I will stop doing that. And somewhere in there, went to divinity school. And I'm a licensed pastor. Uh, for the United Methodist Church. So hopefully like the teaching is ending and the pastoring is ramping up. But right now I do both. Do you find it difficult to juggle everything going on and also teach as well as offer, you know, spiritual encouragement for people, especially during a pandemic? The pandemic has sort of helped. I can meet everyone on my couch now, you know? Yeah. Like it's one thing to get an email that's like, hey, you're five minutes late to a meeting and you're 45 minutes away. It's another thing to get it and be like, oh, sorry. Um, so in some ways the pandemic has been really helpful because it has normalized the zooming and the being in the same place at the same, you know, time. I don't have to get a babysitter. I don't have to be drag my kids places. You firmly heard God say at the age of 13. So was faith always then a big part of your life? Oh yeah. I like to tell people that I, um, I was raised a missional Christian before there was a word for it. Like my dad was, um, well, like when I was four or five, my dad quit his job at some fancy corporate law firm to be a street lawyer. That's what he thought God wanted him to do. And he opened up an office and put Jesus in big red letters in the window. And then just whoever showed up, that's who he, uh, those were his clients. So, and then my mom went back to work as a community college professor to support my dad um, and his ministry, but also, you know, 
when she got there, found that like the students at the community college really needed her too. Was it an odd tradition or not tradition, uh, odd experience for you to go from having a dad who's working probably a lot as a corporate lawyer to the situation where now he's working for people in a, in a, a ministry way, really like his mission was to offer law for those who needed it. Right. Um, no, it was just like, okay, this is what we're doing now. And then it was like, okay. And you know, kids are amazing because whatever you tell them is normal, then they're like, okay, that's normal. So like we got calls from the jail all the time and that was Mm. totally normal to me. And my dad would bring homeless people home and my mom would act like it was totally normal to seat them at the dinner table and to share a meal with them. And so it took me a long, long time to figure out like, Oh, most people like don't know the names of homeless people or think of or think of them as their dad's friends. How did that shape you growing up? Mm. Because for me, being a, you know, a daughter of a single mom, that would have never happened. There's that safety element too, or perceived safety element, I should say. When you were growing up, did it shape how you saw people compared to how other people viewed? Oh, for sure. Like for sure. And probably it, I think it made my parents nervous as they, cause I have two older sisters. And so as they like were sort of releasing these girls into the world, my mom and dad had to kind of be like, okay, okay. okay but like, you can't talk to homeless men unless we're there. Like, I don't think we learned the safety lessons as well as we should have um, because it just like, wasn't scary. Like I didn't, I wasn't worried about it ever. And I'm very good at and deeply enjoy interacting with people who are very different from me. So that has been really helpful to, and I've, I've like, I've pastored churches that are, well, I've pastored a church that was like 80% of its population was homeless people, people experiencing homelessness, worked at churches where everyone is like upper middle class, and I'm able to sort of bridge the gaps there. Also, because my parents would explain it to us. So like, I think poverty is way, is super complicated, and it makes your life really hard. And so my parents were like, oh yeah, well, we're helping whoever out because, and they would like lay it out, you know, systemically, like this is how it happens. And so um, I knew why things were going on and it has occurred to me in adulthood, like, oh, other people don't know why. Like they don't, they haven't thought about it. They didn't learn about it. They don't know people who are homeless. As a parent then, because you being, when we grow up, we're like, oh, we're going to be, when I grow up, I'm going to be better than my mom and dad. And I'm going to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How does that work then for you now as a parent of kids? Constant text messages with me and my sisters that were like, man, if we could just like reach mom, my mother's level, that would be phenomenal. Like, how did she do all of that? We're like, we don't know. She was working full time and was always the leader of at least two of our Girl Scout troops. Had a really clean house and cooked dinner more often than I do. Like had a caper chart like every single week on the refrigerator. We're like, how did she do that? I mean, we have just massive text threads. It's like, how did mom do that? I don't know. Do you think you know how mom did that? Could she teach us? Could she come teach us how she did it? Like, we're just like hoping to be as good or like even get close. So there were no tricks of the trade then. She didn't, she didn't give you like a step one, two, five as to how this is going to work. No, like, I don't know. (laughs) She just was like, yeah, I don't know. I just worked it out. 
my mom was like that too. I'm like, how are you a single mom raising three girls? You know, you got piano, basketball, like all these different things that kids are doing. And yes. you know, oh, here's my chart. Here's your chore day. Do your homework. Right. It's wow. like all on the refrigerator. It was like all every, like every week. It was just like on the refrigerator. But my mom, like my mom firmly believes that um, anything that you can learn at the public library, like you are capable of doing. She's so never heard of Google. <laughs> well, I, it's like, it's like, I'm like that with YouTube, which my husband makes him very nervous. I'll be like, I'm going to replace that lamp. He's like, who's going to replace that lamp? I'm like me. He's like, mm. I'm like, I'm going to go. Um, it's on YouTube. Mostly it works out. There's this ongoing thing where uh, we, I mean, you had said again at the age of 13, you, you heard God say. Yes. Well. And, and then there's this whole thing about, you know, there's so many people who want to write books, but there's probably a lot of people who shouldn't write books. And then you start diving into some of the uh, incredible works that you have and you, and you have a new book, which is uh, set to release uh, next week. Being an author, was that something that uh, you then thought, okay, if teacher and preacher authors got to be the next thing on my belt loop. Okay. The story is wild too. And I don't often tell it because it's so weird. Um, so once upon a time, I was a Southern Baptist. We all, like good Southern Baptist ladies do, went to um, a Beth Moore convention. Mm -hmm. It was Beth Moore, Kay, I forget her last name. Arthur? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. It's like the one that's older than Beth Moore and then Priscilla Shire. Those were the three speakers. It was like in a gymnasium, you know, it was like in a stadium. Mm -hmm. And we went to the Women of Faith Conference and... God, this is going to sound so crazy, but I just like really felt like God was like, okay, start blogging. Hmm. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> and I had a blog already set up because my dad had set one up for me and him. Um, I was a conservative at the time. I am not anymore at all, but um, he wanted me to write about how much I love Sarah Palin, which I did at the time. And so like people change. So that's really exciting. And so I was at the Bethmore conference and I was like, okay, I'll start blogging. And, and I was like, that's really weird. And so I started writing and it turned out I was pretty good at it. And people liked to hear what I was saying. And also it gave me community because I was a working mom and um, like no, no one else in my church was working full-time if they were a mother because they were Southern Baptist. And so they stayed at home and I just didn't want that. I didn't want to do that, nor could we afford it. And I, I was like, okay. And so then I started blogging and then, you know, you end up on Twitter and then you start reading people's arguments and you're like, wait a minute. Like I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one who thinks this. I still wasn't thinking book deal really, or get, you know, learn to write a book or whatever. Um, but my sister was like, I really think you could write a book. And I have a friend who writes Christian books. And so you should talk to her. So I did. And she was like, yeah, I, I could see that. Keep building your platform. Here are some ways you can do it. And then I wrote a whole book that never got published. Um, and even like got an agent and did, did that whole route. Um, and we just couldn't find a buyer for that book. And so when I, so when her and I sort of, both mutually agreed that it was sort of the end of the path with her. Like she couldn't do anything for me um, with that book. 
I had started thinking about other books. And so I participated in Faith Pitch on Twitter. Hmm. And that's how I got picked up by Broadleaf. Yeah, even as I was going to seminary, I was fighting it, fighting the pastor thing a lot. Um, I was like, oh, if because my husband went to PhD school first, and then and then I went after him to get my MDiv. But you know, we were going to go wherever his job was. So, like, if he got his job in Michigan, if or in Oklahoma or wherever, if there wasn't a seminary near there, I was just going to try to do the freelance writing thing. Um, and instead he got a job where we stayed in Atlanta and I was like, okay, well, God, I'm not paying for seminary. God was like, okay. And Candler gave me a full ride. And I was like, oh, well, I guess that's what I'm doing. And even thought when I walked into seminary, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be a head pastor. I, that's, mm -mm. I thought for sure youth pastor, which I still would love to do. Because I taught high school, I really love teenagers. I like hanging out with them. I was like, oh, I'd love to be a youth pastor. Um, but I've had pastored two churches now. We're looking at like a year, year and a bit ago. I mean, to be honest now, as of late time just seems to, it's either gone really quickly or it's gone really slowly, depending on who you talk to. It's kind of the perfect timing right now. And uh, you could talk to God like that because I feel as though there's so many people who want to have this conversation, just don't know how to express it. So why write the book? Or did you know that this was all going to go down? We we're going to be living in a COVID and we just needed an Abby Norman book. Uh, it's wild to be writing a book. I wrote the book at the beginning of COVID and promoting it at the end. And so that's really, really crazy. Actually, I was terrified because I pitched this book about lament. I got signed in like January, February. And then in March, when COVID was like really hitting internationally, people started being like, oh, we need to learn how to lament. And I was like, mm. you guys, I'm saying that, you know? <laughs> like, And I just thought, like we all did, that it was going to be like a month or two, you know, really hard six weeks. And then we were going to be back to normal. I really thought that I was going to be late um, to the conversation. I'm shocked at how um, increasingly important it becomes to talk about lament, right? As I am putting out a book that talks about lament. I wish it was less, you know? True. But I feel like in this past year, whether people were trying to talk about, you know, their faith or embracing this COVID season as a season where we could be still and listen to God, people are going to hit that at different phases. And maybe people mm -hmm. are hitting it right now, or they'll reflect on this season and, and really start to lament things. For you and with this book, what do you really hope those who read it will be able to take out of it? I just hope that they can have a more honest conversation with God so mm -hmm. they can have a more honest relationship with God so that they can have a more honest community together so we can be more honest about what our world actually looks like and what it would take for it to look more like the kingdom of God. You've been through a couple of different denominations, you've said, throughout our conversation. Mm -hmm. Did that really help shape the conversation about lamenting and finding ways for us to have a more honest look at our faith? I am, by nature, ecumenically promiscuous. I, there is no religious experience I don't want to have. So, And I've always been like this. So like in high school, um, I played the drums in the bands and uh, Joe Boz, a drummer, a jazz drummer was also like Eastern Orthodox. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Can I go to your church? And he like thought I was hitting on him 
<laughs> anyway, he thought there was romantic like interest because I was super into going to his church. But really, I just was like, oh, you guys do like smells and bells and it's in a different language. And this is going to be so cool. Then his mom was like really disappointed that we didn't get married. Um <laughs> Because I just was like, oh, that's so cool. But I think that they just thought I was a 15-year-old who was interested in him. But I really just really wanted to go to his church. Um, Pentecostal, like loud, falling out. I love it all. And so, like I said, I've always been like that. But it might be because my parents had, we had lots of different faith, faith traditions of people that we respected hanging out in our homes. You're definitely not the type of person who struggles, I feel like, with authenticity. Do you think that we aren't authentic when it comes to our relationship and our talking with God? I think very, very few people are authentic to that experience. And and it shows because I freak people out so often when I'm at church. Like when we switched churches to go from, I knew I had to get out of the Southern Baptist church because I knew I was called and that wasn't working. And so um, I got, but I also was just overwhelmed. It was like the hardest year of my life. And I was like, okay, God, I'm out. And I was on my way to Target to get diapers because both of my children were in them at the time. Wouldn't you know it, this liberal Methodist church put out their sign. Like it was an actual physical sign. It said, creative, historic, inclusive. Like if I could have written a sign that would have gotten me into a church, that was it. And I drove by it and I almost crashed the car. I just was like, oh God, you think you're so funny. And God was like, yeah, I think I'm hilarious. (laughs) Like you asked for a sign, baby. So I emailed the pastor and then he emailed me back. And then I was like, okay, we'll be there. I just need you to know that I'm a crier. (laughs) Because I would, I was just in a phase in my faith. I would just weep. I was just, just weep. And I did for like almost a year. And I was surrounded by like very proper Southern upper middle class women who were like, fine, all the time. And then here I am like in the middle pew, just like, <laughs> um, so that, you know, like I, even I had a conversation and somebody was like, have you ever? And I thought I had been doing a really good job of like keeping it buttoned up. And, and she was like, have you ever like, just thought like, you know, you might have an easier time if you just felt less. I was like, oh, you less? Like, just, if you just, you know, weren't, if you just like, were a little less intense, you would like have an easier time in life. And I had thought that I was like hiding it so well. That's funny. I was like, oh, you think this is like a nine or like I'm at a seven. (laughs) You like think I'm at an 11. Like you got to wait until you see me intense sister. Um, I just started cracking up. I thought it was hilarious. Um, Yeah. But like, so I do think, I also think like in, at least in American Christianity, it is like, so, you know, you can say whatever you want to say. And then you have to be like, oh, and God, but God, God will make way. And I sure am grateful. And it's like, you know what? Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not grateful. Maybe this is stupid. So yeah, I for sure. Um, even if my mouth doesn't say it, my face does like I'm one of those. And, and I, I just always have been and have been unable to, keep it 
anything but like a hundred percent real. Um, and I like it that way. And if it freaks people out, then like, they're not my people, but mostly I find that people find it refreshing. There's not enough honesty. That's for sure. Well, you do, you know where I stand. Yeah. You don't I'm, have to be like, I wonder if she's you know, <laughs> irritated for me or whatever. Cause it's like, no, you'll know. Yeah. Before we get to your why me moment, uh, because I mean, you, you, like you said, you, you wear your heart on your sleeve. You're authentic. You're passionate. You use, you, you're a seven. You want to see a 10. She's going to take off her earrings. What gets you more <laughs> fired up? Is it, uh, is it talking about school stuff or talking about religion? Probably school stuff because, um, all of the injustices and the disparities and like what's screwed up about the American education system, we could fix it tomorrow if we wanted to. We know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. We could fix it. It could be fixed like like in August. Next school year, we're doing it like equitably. Like we know how to do that. Like religious stuff gets me fired up, but it's always more nuanced because it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to do church like that. I don't know. You know, I'm still in the what if, but the educational stuff makes me crazy because stop it. Hmm. We can't have, I don't need, I don't need to talk about like, Oh, what if we know the work has been done either. Like at this point we have to say like, we want an incredibly inequitable educational system. That's what we're hoping for. That's cause that's what we do. Hmm. interesting being a canadian looking at the american education system we just don't really know kind of the nuances and the ins and outs so that's uh it's interesting we could fix our own stuff up here too i know true right (laughs) we have our own set of issues but in america the long and the short of it is this uh school funding is tied to property taxes Hmm. and all we have to do to fix it is untie it but we won't because we don't want to. We've already asked a couple of questions, the what ifs, but what about the why me's? (laughs) Have you ever had, and I'm guessing you've had a couple, why me moments in your life? Yeah. And, um, I got really sick when I was 13. Um, and I mean, really sick. And I never really got better. And and I developed what we now call fibromyalgia. So from 13 until 26, I had fibromyalgia. Um, And we, you know, it was was like 1999. So we didn't have words for it. We didn't have language for it. We didn't have doctors who knew what it was. If they did, they assumed it showed up in 40-year-old women. I was... 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, can't figure out what's wrong, missing all kinds of school, um, just exhausted all the time, you know, and um, would, would have, have good, good times and then flare up and blah, blah, blah. And just like, would get depressed. Is she depressed? Cause she's sick. Is she sick? Cause she's depressed. We don't know. Um, and just cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle. And, and also like just really wanting to be good, to be a good Christian and to like, was super serious about my faith at a very early age. And um, 
Uh, I just remember my mom, this is in the book. Um, she looked at me and she, and she was like, Abby, are you mad at God? And I was horrified because like, I wanted so desperately to be a good Christian girl. And she like recognized what I thought was like this deep, dark secret. But I did definitely feel like, why me, God? Especially like, you know, my, I'm like, my friends are bad. Like they are like, they're doing bad things. And I don't even want to do bad things. I just like want to go to the speech tournament without being in pain. Like, can I have that? You know? Um, yeah. So definitely that chronic illness as a teenager mm-hmm. was a super impactful why me moment. I love that your mom kind of called you out on that. It's well, just- and then, yeah, the rest of that is she, she said, when I was like, I am mad at God. She said, me too. Oh. Of course you're mad at God. What? Uh, duh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a She was like, uh-huh. And I'm in it too. Hmm. Yeah. Because so often people say, oh, don't be mad at God. But our God's big enough to handle all of our emotions. You know, he right. knows they're just processing things. You just are like, what do you like? And dude, it's not, I mean, you can tell him or you don't have to, but he's God. So he probably knows. You can talk to God like that surprising power of lament to save your faith out May the 18th. For those who don't think that church signs work, Abby proves that they do at Abby Norman says on uh, Twitter, uh, Abby Norman.net. Abby, we appreciate you taking some time and uh, we finally made this happen. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you once again to Abby for taking a minute, as we always say, and uh, hanging out with us. What I love is the fact, not necessarily do you need to be told, but it's always good to be told that, hey, you can talk to God like that. Yeah. And I just love that she's diving into this conversation because I don't think it's one we have a lot of, really. Mm. Um, and the idea of lamenting. I feel is one of those underrated conversations, just like grief. I don't think we talk about grief enough. Uh, we don't grieve well, I don't think. And so that's just my own opinion. So I love you know, that this is something she's jumping in with both feet. We're not talking enough about grief. We're not talking enough about sorrow. We're not talking maybe uh, authentically. Nope. Authentic. How do you go for it? Tell me, Holly. Authentic. <laughs> right. Try doing that 10 times fast, but we're just not being authentic enough, whether it's in our own relationships, whether it's talking to God or we're being authentic when it talks to God. But then when you get in a Bible study or something else, then it's like, oh, what, what, how are you? You know what? We're good. Uh, yeah. Our relationship is fine. Um, th- this is fine. Don't need this. When in reality, we're struggling and we're just not being real about it. Yeah, I also find, too, if you are real, suddenly people treat you differently or it's kind of Mm. one of those things where, oh, but it's okay. I don't really necessarily want to hear the sympathy. I just I'm just telling you that today's a bad day, but tomorrow might be better. It's okay to be real. There's mm-hmm. that's that should be the title of something. It's okay to be real. Uh, again, you could download the podcast. We encourage you to do so. Tell a friend, a family member, like Abby said, complete strangers, bring them over for dinner. Make yeah. sure you're six feet apart and they're masked up or whatever if needed. But uh, yeah, you could go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pinterest, MySpace, Pure Volume, and you can also ask Jeeves. Or you can go to faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.